El Cuerpo de Cuentos, stories from an American in the Dominican Republic. May 11, 2018, was the official final day of service for my cohort with Peace Corps in the Dominican Republic. Close of service, or COS as Peace Corps people call it, isn't just a date. It's a process and a symbol. When you COS, you fulfill the promise you made when you became a Peace Corps volunteer. You celebrate two years spent learning a new language and culture two years building trust and confidence with new work partners, neighbors, and family. When you COS, you hand over projects, write reports, go through medical exams, and after a big party with your cohort, you fly home or elsewhere in the world, on to another adventure. But like so many aspects of the Peace Corps experience, COS doesn't always turn out like you expect it will or want it to. And this was true for both me and Kevin. We COS'd separately and under different conditions from each other and everyone else in our cohort. In late January, we took a vacation to visit my family in the U.S. Before heading back to the Dominican Republic in February, a Peace Corps medical officer advised me to stay in the U.S. to address an acute medical issue. Kevin flew back to the DR alone. After a few weeks and a number of consultations, the Peace Corps advised that I accept a medical separation. A medical separation, or a MedSEP, can happen at any point during service. Reasons for MedSEPs are as individual as the people that serve in the Peace Corps. In my cohort alone, there were MedSEPs for things ranging from physical therapy to cancer. A MedSEP happens when Peace Corps administration believes that the issue cannot be addressed in the country of service, usually because the type of treatment that's needed, or because recovery is expected to exceed a certain amount of time. So. After vacation, my service ended three months early with a MedSEP. It was an early release, but it wasn't a penalty. I'm officially an RPCV, a returned Peace Corps volunteer, with the same status and benefits everyone that goes through the standard COS process receives. It just happened for me three months earlier than I expected. Kevin also had an early close of service. A country director can release a volunteer up to 30 days before the official COS date if they believe there's good reason to do so. In Kevin's case, I was the good reason. Having served together for nearly two complete years, and because I had received the medical separation, our country director thought it was fair for Kevin to leave one month early. He's also now officially a returned Peace Corps volunteer with the same status and benefits as me and the other 260,000 RPCVs in the world. This episode is a conversation in which Kevin and I discuss our separate close-of-service experiences, reflect on our time with the United States Peace Corps, and talk a bit about what's in store for our immediate future. what some of the notable differences were between your service without me than with me? Well, we had separate projects, 
so we were always working separately. We did work, we d you and I did collaborate on one uh, project initially, and we always helped each other out with things here and there. But since we had separate projects, and since um, towards the end of some of my projects, I had to travel a bit, like, it wasn't that different um, in terms of direct service work. But yeah, like I missed you incredibly. <laughs> like, Aww. you know, so obviously it was like really challenging to like be in the house by myself and be in the village by myself. And all of that was like really difficult. But it wasn't like it, my service work, like in terms of my projects, weren't any harder than they were used to be. Um, Peace Corps is fond of saying that every volunteer has a different service experience. And I, in my experience, I would have to say that's true. And even living in the same community and the same house as another volunteer, we had very different experiences uh, in the Peace Corps and with our service. Um, some things that are remarkable, though, about serving as a couple is that there are sort of general service differences. For mm -hmm. example, we are we spoke our native language to each other mm -hmm. every day. So without me being there, would do you think that you had maybe what was more similar to a single volunteer's experience? Where did you feel more integrated into the community? Uh, yeah, I think I did a little bit. Like. Um, I noticed my Spanish improving over those two months. You know, it improved, it improved in every month before those two months. So, but I, I think it probably got a little bit better because I had more of an intense Spanish experience. Um, some of the women on our street adopted me, basically. <laughs> because <laughs> like, men can't take care of themselves. Well, like, you know, that's... But it worked in my favor because um, I had a support system. Like, uh, our neighbor, Marilanda, she came up to us and to all well, not to us excuse me she our neighbor Mary Linda came up to me one day she said how are you eating and I explained that there was food and I was cooking through it but she made it abundantly clear that I was able to come over to her house whenever I wanted and so when I like ran out of the residual food that like was left over I didn't have to go grocery shopping during those last two months I've heard this from other male volunteers that they don't have to cook at all for the whole two years that they're there that uh some woman in the community in not a sexual way and not necessarily even a maternal way but just a women make sure that everybody is fed sort of way make sure that you're taken care of because it's just in Dominican culture not something that um, men are expected to do even for themselves when they live by themselves as cook. Yeah and that's why we saw the other end of that when like random men would show up at our host mother's house and like demand a plate of rice Yeah, which is like um incredibly uh, different and more than a little sexist, but on the receiving end of it, <laughs> like yeah. it was pretty good. It was pretty good for me at a difficult moment in my service, yeah. I completed in the U.S. Mm -hmm. I did all the admin administrative things, all the report writing, all of my doctor's visits mm -hmm. in the American system. Mm -hmm. And it was actually 
relatively difficult to navigate, um, mm-hmm. in part because it was bridging a gap between healthcare from the Peace Corps and needing certain types of tests and checks to make sure that I wasn't carrying various types of parasites that don't exist in the U.S. within the American medical system that's not always fully equipped to dealing with that. Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding is, though, when you go through the close of service process in country, it's actually pretty seamless. Oh, yeah. Did yeah. you find that to be true? It was pretty easy to do all of your close of service stuff I mean it's they literally give you a checklist it's about a page and they tell you exactly how to do everything you're responsible for getting it done but it's pretty easy considering that it's just appointments you know you need to manage your own schedule and coordinate with people but yeah they give you a checklist like go go get this medical test go uh, get this medical test go to the okay when do you want your dentist appointment okay uh, you need to turn in the following documents you need to turn in the following items yeah. So, and and you're left, and since your official Peace Corps projects are wrapped up, it's not that hard. Assuming that you have access to the capital, assuming that you can spend time in the capital, and so what I did um, was the last two weeks in country, I was just in the capital city. Yeah, and that's a real notable distinction, I think, because for me, even though I was I was entitled to dental care, um, it was actually even in question if I would get the full dental care I might have needed in terms of cavities, whereas I know um, having that addressed in country of service, that's not an issue. Um, also, just having served myself for 23 months uh, and having done medical there myself, all the Peace Corps doctors were in the capital city and within an easy walk or cab ride or public transportation from one another, whereas I sometimes, um, when I was doing my close of service in the U.S., would have to visit uh, medical care professionals who were in different cities, and sometimes a half an hour or even Mm -hmm. a 10-minute appointment might take me five-plus hours in terms of transportation in the U.S., and that just doesn't seem to be the case. So uh, it sounds like the close of service process for a volunteer, at least in our country of service, is easier when you're in country than when you're in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, Peace Corps DR is well-established and it's well-run, and volunteers cycle in and cycle out every six months, and Peace Corps contracts with local doctors. Everybody knows how it works, and so, um, yeah, it's pretty much a pain-by-numbers thing. That I think the number of uh, PCs who close service out you know, in the United States is much smaller than those who close service and uh, in their host country. And I think that the number of PCVs that close service in the United States, but not in Washington, D.C., is even smaller. Yeah, you're probably right about that. I don't know the numbers, but I would guess you're probably right about that. Yeah, most people who get a medical uh, separation are sent to Washington, D.C., but you're actually sent to your home of record and you did everything there. Um, In terms of the paperwork and the logistics of closing out service, that was probably comparable. For me, that was a very easy process. I did everything digitally. Mm -hmm. Um, The only thing that I feel like that I really missed out in that is the close of service conference, where everybody in our group has a three or four day thing that's definitely a conference and an informational set it, uh, session, mm-hmm. but it's also an opportunity to celebrate our two years together and our two years of service. Mm-hmm. And I am really sorry that I missed out on that event. I'm sure it was great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, everybody was sorry that you missed out on that event. Oh, thanks. Yeah. That was like, um, less than, a, it was like less than a week after I came back solo and like, you know, word had gotten out and stuff. So a lot of people asked about you, but so like, you know, just like any position where you have a lot of mandated trainings um, in Peace Corps, sometimes you get tired of those. Uh, so there was a lot of I noticed that coming into 
the close of service conference after having been through a lot of mandated trainings and after having been through like 10 year, excuse me, having been through two years of service, a lot of people were just not very excited about it, but it was actually a good experience. It was nicely balanced between um, processing and celebrating and uh, logistics of wrapping things up. And also um, a fair amount of time uh, was dedicated to preparing us for returning to the United States, preparing ourselves emotionally and uh, for career stuff too. It's still really early in the return process for us and I'm sure we're going to gain perspective as there's more time between us and the actual service. But at this point, how do you feel about your service? I feel pretty great about it. Like, um, I came in with really high expectations and uh, a lot of them were filled. Like, um, there obviously were some disappointments and there were some real struggles at point. But, I mean, I really wanted to shake up my life and my career in a really in a positive way and I feel like that happened I feel like um, I learned some of the things I wanted to learn about the rest of the world I feel like I learned a lot about myself I feel like we learned a lot about our each other in our marriage yeah I'm not gonna get too gooey on your podcast here <laughs> but I definitely feel like that we're stronger for it yeah I personally feel like I'm a better person for having done it. And I also feel like our marriage is stronger. Yeah, and that's the most important thing. Tell me a few things that you really loved about service. I really loved, like, basically being able to say anything I tried was work. You know, anything I did was work. Like, I mean, it's it's infuriating sometimes to co- constantly be on 24-7, but you can... But at the end of the day, even if you didn't make any advancements in your project, you could say, I went to the grocery store and spoke language. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good working day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or at least in cultural context of the Dominican Republic, I sat sat around and drank coffee with my neighbors for four hours. Yeah, yeah. We did things other than that. But, you know, those were easy wins. And sometimes you have to take solace in the easy wins. I also loved the autonomy of it and the freedom to pursue what I wanted and do what I wanted. And it's going to be, it'll be interesting to see what it feels like to give that up. Was there anything throughout the experience that you really disliked about it? Yeah. Do you do you feel comfortable sharing those things? I do. Like, um, there's some things about the host country culture that you that one dislikes. You know, it's not your home culture. You know, um, there's you know, like, but that's not the the thing that really bothered me, you know, like, those are things that, like, you don't expect to change necessarily, but, like, I don't know, I, what I didn't really like uh, is just, like, being so close to so much suffering and, like, not feeling they can do a single thing about it. Like, you know, you're working very hard, you're doing development work, you're working with the community, you're meeting people where they're at, and you're doing something, even if it's a little bit. But that little bit, like, when you pile it up next to, like, the har- the harshness you see, you know, like, it, it's just, I guess I didn't like that feeling. Like, and I guess I don't like that the world is like that, you know? I'm, I'm just Did ta- it make your work seem futile or demoralizing in any way? Not at all. 
No, because I mean, like it. Re I got to really see the difference that I made in the lives of some people. You know, you're aiming for systemic, programmatic things. You know, and you don't get to see those because those are long-term, secondary things. But you do get to see like um, the positive impact you've had in the lives of individuals. So that's very rewarding. You know, and that and what is systemic change except like the aggregate of individual changes. But even like the programmatic stuff or the, the more system level stuff we were shooting for, like it did just totally doesn't address tons of the things you see, you know, right. like you don't want to go into like, a, I didn't expect to go into to going into this experience. I didn't expect to come out thinking that human life was pretty cheap. And that's something that is a feeling that I have like left service with, not that I think it should be. But like, what do you what do you mean by that? Can you clarify that? Um, people just get hurt and die all the time, and really in ways that like aren't fair, and not a, and not a lot of people and some people just don't seem that interested in changing the circumstances that make people just get hurt and die, kind of unnecessarily. crazy but sometimes I have missed the food <laughs> like, I really well, I don't know if I'll think you're crazy but Austin who I talked to back in the episode about food he'll definitely think you're crazy our donia was so much a better cook than his donia yeah, it's she could just cook. true yeah so there's that I, I really miss a lot of the people you know um and I miss the people in general you know like I it's it's nice to be back in a place where everything feels normal and natural and stuff but i really miss people being friendly and people smiling and saying hi i i got into the habit i kind of went native and that i just say hi to people and ask them how they're doing <laughs> and things like that and like here like I'm, I'm getting in the elevator and i'll say hi to somebody and people like look away as if i and like not acknowledge that i'm there and like I, and there's jokes about nobody wants to talk in the elevator, but like not even like say like a muffled high back, just act as if I don't exist. And that's that's one of the few very Dominican habits that I've taken into my life in the U.S. completely accidentally. This idea that you sal saludar, that you say hello to everybody in general when you walk into a public space, be it a bank or an elevator or whatever. Um, I have a hard time not doing that. As you mentioned, we're living in a really big building and walking into the elevator and not just sort of generally saying hi or good morning. It feels awkward not to do that, but I know Americans don't do that. So it's weird when you do walk into a crowded elevator and just say hello. So it's that's I, a little bit of a strange adjustment for I, me. I hear that they do that in the South, that people say hello and hi more and stuff. And it's weird because... But do I they... I, I haven't spent much time in the South, but do they say it uh, to another individual or do 
you say it as the Dominicans do to a group and you don't necessarily expect a direct response from individuals because for the example that we're talking about here is when you walk into a crowded elevator for example I'm not just saying hi to a neighbor that I recognize or hi to an individual it's sort of like hello to all who are present in the room I don't th- I've never heard the southerners say uh, hi to the room as a general but but they, they say hello more and are friendlier to strangers just as a matter of course you know possibly I, I don't, don't want to throw shit on Pittsburgh people here are pretty friendly people actually. are super friendly here but like I it's just weird for me to be in a situation where like you, you say hi and a person doesn't even look at you you know the after one... having been you know in a situation where like people are just so happy because you just woke up that morning you know yeah it's um the two places where I've really noticed it for myself translated into the U.S. is the elevator uh, mm-hmm. and I feel really awkward saying it but really awkward not saying it. The other one is the public bus system but mm-hmm. there it doesn't matter. It translates because you can say hi directly to the driver and it yeah. fulfills that need. Yeah, it does. Whereas like in the Dominican Republic you would say hello to all in a sort of a loud booming voice but I can just get on the bus here and say hi to the driver and I feel comfortable and that's not too weird. Um, but I don't find the need to do it for example when I walk in to a restaurant or a bank as you would in the DR. So I, I miss, you know, I miss the as some of the culture and I miss some of the people and I really miss our fellow PCPs. You know, we made some yeah, good friends and I miss the heck out of those people. Even some of the people that weren't our good friends, they're all really good people that I think uh, we met and the Peace Corps uh, staff working in that country just generally good people and I feel really privileged to have met them all. Yeah. And, and I miss that camaraderie that you had even with uh, other volunteers who might not have uh, been you know friends in real life or friends in the US mm-hmm. but you have a real understanding of each other and I think if I was to ever meet them again in our lives in the US there would be some kind of bond. And solidarity. Yeah absolutely. I'm more ambitious and I have a better idea of what I'm worth and I'm less of a dreamer which means I and I hope this all means I'll be better at getting stuff done you know um, so I, I feel like I'm I feel like I have basically like a just a, like a laser like focus on what I'm trying to do right now you know and I, I mean I don't know if that was the case coming into country, you know. I feel like coming into the Peace Corps, I had a lot of a lot of unar- a lot of unarticulated hopes and expectations and dreams, and, th- and that's fine, you know. What Dominicans would call illusiones, like illusions, you know. And I feel like I don't have most of those anymore. I feel like I'm very much more, I mean, bolted to reality. There was a presidential election while we were serving. Oh, so yeah. We came in with Obama and came out with Trump. Um, we did have internet by the time the presidential election rolled around, so we were pretty in touch with the news as much as we wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so without going too deep into political landscapes, specifically mm-hmm. on the national level, what do you think has changed in the U.S. since you've been gone and come back? Um... So I've been in three places uh, in the United States since I've came back, two of which I've never been to before. 
Um, the, mo the, the, mo the biggest outlier was going to Tennessee to visit family. I'd never been there before. And that's the most like a place I'd never been before. Um, in, in Ipsy, I was really surprised to see like an Amazon.com outpost. Oh, this on, is in uh, Ypsilanti, Michigan. Yeah, and like an Amazon.com outpost on the uh, campus of our alma mater. And um, it's very, it's, I'd been reading, well, Amazon's been just a big, a bigger and bigger company over the years, and it's increasingly doing really uh, innovative and sometimes disturbing things with business, you know? <laughs> and like, it's... And that's disturbing like, or disruptive? It depends on how you feel about it. Okay. Okay. Disruptive is a positive way. Disturbing is a is a you know, is a less thing. So like, um, so anyways, like, I mean, and that but that had, oh, even when we lived in San Francisco, that was mostly just stuff I read on the internet. But like seeing it like manifested physically in the space in front of me had a big impact. Um, also, like being it's here, especially in a place that isn't necessarily a hub of innovation. No. We're talking about it's a college town, but it's a small mid-level state college town. Yeah. And so, see, and, and, and so, like, I've been reading about how this company's just gotten so big and influential over the years, and just seeing it show up in this town where hardly anything ever showed up, you know, that, that wasn't, uh, that, would, that made a big impact on me. Um, so, and I feel like that is kind of representative of maybe a change, uh, a, of a sort of a shift in, in business in the United States. Like, um, where the already existing business superpowers have, uh, solidified or fortified their power and it, like the, the tentacles are extended more and more <laughs> into reality yeah and so there's that the other thing like uh, here in Pittsburgh like and I know this is a, this may be a particularly acute here but I heard it all over the radio uh, when we were when outside Detroit just like the opioid epidemic like just seeing yeah, signs that's really notable seeing signs like everywhere for detox centers for uh, prescription drug trials for uh, medical trials at the university like um, all kinds of uh, and signs of the opioid epidemic at multiple levels you know that's been almost shocking to me and I'm wondering how much of it is a regional thing uh, you know I Back in the States, I visited family in the San Francisco Bay Area, mm -hmm. and I didn't see PSAs about it in the same way that I'm seeing here. Pittsburgh is, as we heard one journalist call it, the Paris of Appalachia. Um, so, And I know that the op opioid epidemic is supposed to have hit Appalachia harder than in other areas of the country. So I don't know if the San Francisco Bay Area has been insulated from it somehow or what. But I mean, it, it is very notable to me here in the city, um, the outreach efforts of it. But it's not just there, too. Like, um, we were t I was talking to my mom about her job, and she mentioned that one of her coworkers, who she'd finally gotten close to, um, told her that her husband had died an opioid addict. And who probably wasn't what I think a lot of people think of what the profile is, right? I mean, this yeah. is a gentleman probably into his 60s. Yeah, I think around 70 years old. And so something that San Francisco doesn't have in common with Metro Detroit and Pittsburgh is San Francisco was spared the brunt of the economic crisis. 
and I know that in Pittsburgh is very much a city on its way up. But I think that in the areas around it, I think that there's still some struggle going on, big time. Yeah, there's clearly struggle still within the city itself, but um, not to the extent that you see in Detroit, of course, uh, mm-hmm. but definitely not also to the extent of success that you see in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah, so politics aside, like um, the, I guess I'll just say the real world manifestation of like dot com companies, like physically and like uh, opioids, those are the two things that like really struck me. Um, that that don't have really any partisan political flavor. Would you do it all over again, knowing what you know now about the experience? I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think it was necessary. I mean, good and bad. I feel like everything I went through was pretty necessary. I think I'm better for it, you know? Yeah, I, um, I'm definitely glad I did it. I think I'm better for it. Um, it's not without is its challenges that I don't think are connected to an immediate positive outcome in my life. But the positive things that I did get from it outweigh those other elements that were less positive. I think I'm definitely a better person for it. I think I'm a calmer person for it. Mm-hmm. I did learn the skill of Spanish. Mm-hmm. It uh, You say this often. It um, answers questions that we had. There's never going to be a what if about it for either one of us. We mm-hmm. now know. Um, I learned uh, and accomplished actually a fair amount of professional things and have added uh, some new professional things to my toolkit, which I wasn't expecting, especially not in the arena that I did. Doing this podcast itself is something that I'm very proud of this project, and Mm -hmm. uh, I'm happy I did it. Um, I worked as an editor and then a co-editor in chief of a magazine that's published in in country there. So I had some, you know, editorial lead uh, work and design page layout work that I didn't have experience with before. Um, I can't say that the direct project work of Peace Corps though has is something that I'm going to move forward with uh, professionally. But I'm still glad I had the entire experience of it. Well, that's an answered question because that's one of yeah. the things that you were looking at for your career. And now you know. Yeah, exactly. I know. I know. For me, a motivation of doing it was to possibly explore going into public health um, or international education development. And uh, neither one of those fields are fields that I'll be going into anytime soon. But it definitely wasn't a wash professionally, you know. No, but I mean, beyond professionally, I mean, it's definitely, I think it's, it's been really good for uh, my career, I think. We'll see when I get a job. <laughs> but, I mean, beyond that, I think it's a net positive, you know? I, I don't expect to maintain relationships with anybody from our community, and I'm very comfortable with that. I'm comfortable at this point in um, fondly remembering it, but putting an active relationship with the experience behind me. But I do 
often find myself thinking about our host family in particular. I think about mm-hmm. our host grandmother who wasn't in great health when we left. She mm-hmm. was in her 90s, you know, and she had lung issues like a lot of women do in uh, the Caribbean and Latin America because they cook three meals a day, usually over smoking open flames. Um, so she is probably not long for this world, not to be morbid. And I think a lot about our host's mother, Freddie. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hear me. when I'm, I'm having so much joy just cooking in my own home and having access to all this like wonderful fresh varieties of vegetables um, and grains and just every all the great food that we have access to here in the states because um, we have money yeah exactly um, that is a very true point uh, but I frequently find myself preparing something to eat and then just thinking what would my Dominican host mom my doña think of this and I can't really come to any kind of conclusion Let's talk a little bit about the present. You have mentioned a couple of times that we're here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, a city that we've never seen before we moved to. So maybe can you talk a little bit as to why we're here? Yeah, I've been accepted into an MBA program. Uh, It's an MBA program that has a scholarship through the Peace Corps um, Coverdale Fellows. And it specializes in uh, environmentally friendly, environmentally sustainable business practices. It's something that I think is uh, it's a good continuation of some of the, of the different threads through my career. Maybe I can braid some of my diverse experiences together. And uh, that's something I'm pretty excited about. I start orientation in a couple weeks. No, a couple days. I start orientation in a couple days. And as one fellow student that I already met, she says, we'll be graduated in less than a year because it's actually an intensive. So it's like a one-year program. I'll be going uh, full-time to school for that. Um, we've been in town a couple weeks now, but that's just been like, how do you ride the bus? Where do you go shop for groceries? Um, what about this doctor's appointment we didn't go to? All those kinds of things. Yeah, this is actually now week three of being here. And uh, I feel pretty comfortable here. I already feel like I live here. It's shocking how easy it is to move to a new city, not knowing anybody, not having anything uh, after doing peace corps. I mean... And and in all fairness, we were established in our careers before we jumped off and did peace corps and then came back. So we are in a more comfortable position financially than other peace corps volunteers coming back. And that money does... The money that we had saved does definitely make it easier too. And you already got a job. I do. I have a couple irons in the fire, and uh, I'll figure it out, but I'm staying in the communications field, probably in technical writing. Yeah, it's definitely easier to be back in the States and where you can just kind of take your culture for granted. But by the end of it, I was pretty comfortable in the DR culturally. Like, not every single every single bus seat was comfortable but like I mean I felt like I could show up in most places and just know how to get around but it's still so much easier here. I feel like I could show up in most places in the DR and know how to get around but I think it was still more uncomfortable for me culturally just by being a woman. There were places that uh, it's not like a country where I would necessarily be forbidden to go someplace but it might be actually very dangerous to go as a woman so I wouldn't go or um, just the way that just the level of street harassment there is just on a completely completely different level that you don't even experience in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, And the expectations of you 
or what you're thought of um, is radically different. So I wouldn't say that I was ever fully comfortable there culturally, the way that you just mentioned. But in terms of getting around, getting around is more difficult too. Uh, here, there is a map of the bus system <laughs> and it like runs on a schedule and I can ask somebody and they know how it works. <laughs> Whereas in the DR, not all of those things might ever be true. Yeah, yeah. Do you have anything that you want to say about the future? I mean, it's too close to call, but I feel like after our great adventure, and I feel like you feel this way too, I feel like I feel like it's too close to call, maybe. What's too close to call? Nah, I feel like it's maybe too early to say, but I feel like after our great adventure, we might be ready to stay place, stay put in one place for a while. And we like this place, and so we'll see how we come out on the other end if I get a good job here. But we might be here, you know? Yeah, make a home of it. Yeah, and I mean, that's honestly the the thing that excites me the most about uh, the future is making a home again. Yeah. listeners and supporters, especially the Peace Corps staff in the Dominican Republic and in Washington, D.C., my fellow Peace Corps volunteers, and my friends and family. I couldn't have done any of this without you, and I wouldn't have wanted to. You can listen to the full series of El Cuerpo de Cuentos on SoundCloud or anyplace else you get your podcasts.